Hi, welcome back to the Fear and Trembling podcast where you all get to hear our musings. <laughs> I'm uh, Aaron, I'm the Watershed Campus Pastor here at Hardawike and around the table I have to my left. I'm Bill Linder, I'm the Campus Pastor at Celebration with Hardawike. J.B. Wernland, Campus Pastor Fusion with Hardawike Ministries. Darwin Glassford, the Executive Pastor at Hardawike Ministries. Yeah, and today we get to let Darwin be in control. (laughs) (laughs) Not like we don't ever, you know, have that happen anyways, but... (laughs) So I'm coming out from behind the curtain, is that what you're saying? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Welcome to Oz, folks. Yeah, really. (laughs) Let's make sure Toto doesn't get in here. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, for the podcast today, uh, we are talking about being the bad guys, how to live for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't by Stephen McAlpine. Uh, This book is, uh, Darwin, you actually brought this to our attention, offered it to us. So uh, we're going to let you lead the way. But uh, yeah, first and foremost, why why recommend this book? Okay, well, I can tell you why I recommended it because Bill recommended it to me, <laughs> though he hadn't read it yet. <laughs> oh, there's so Toto. He, he recommended it to me, and I actually, um, actually read it um, and found it um, incredibly intriguing. The author, Stephen McAlpine, comes to us from Perth, Australia. Yeah, and so he's he's bringing a a different perspective from a different part of um, the world, a different culture on on Christianity and how Christianity is going to be is perceived in culture. And so I always find it really, really helpful to read authors from around the world on these issues because they have different experiences, but sometimes their experiences seem very similar as well. And um, and so here we are with this um, author from um, Perth, um, Australia. So And I've just found the people from Australia really, really helpful. So, and in, in many ways, Australia as a culture is further down the pike, if you will, yeah. than the United States. So you can listen to people from Australia mm-hmm. in this way and begin to get a sense of what may be common and, right. and prepare and thoughtful right. that way. So what he does in this book is he explores how Christianity went from being seen as a cultural asset, okay, where its, um, its morals um, were assumed correct – we're often codified into law historically, whether we like that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how did Christianity become, instead of a cultural asset, um, how did it become perceived as a cultural threat, as something that is dangerous to society and culture? And that's really a massive shift in how Christianity has been viewed um, throughout history. So, and, um, so hang on a second. You're saying Christianity is seen as a danger? And many and by many people, yes, it's yeah. a threat, and right. significantly, it happened quickly, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's right. it's. I'm yeah. not that old. I'm going to say, but I remember a time as a pastor where folks would show up at my Presbyterian church and say, "I'm just starting a new business, and I'd like to get involved in this community because right. it will help my business." Right. That hasn't happened right. recently. Yeah, and so so what he does is he's explaining the kind of cultural dynamics that led to this. And, um, and it's, it's really fascinating. Um, it's a lot of history, um, a little bit of philosophy, some good biblical theology he throws in there. Um, but what I really like about the book is he's not surprised by this cultural shift. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's intriguing. Um, so many books I read about the cultural shift, you can sense the anger, you can sense the frustration with it. But with, with this book, it's like, yeah, the cultural shift came. And we should have expected it, 
And now we have to figure out how to navigate it in a healthy and respectful way. And um and and along that line, I just found him really really kind of fun to read and enjoyable, challenging, um, a little unnerving at times. Um, but overall encouraging. Good. And so, yeah, so as I think, definitely. as I read the book, I, I, I did think, I was thinking along similar lines as Bill. Um, I'm slightly younger than Bill. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I can remember, um, I was reflecting on this. I can remember that um, fresh out of seminary, um, sorry, I'm going to say um, in the 80s and 90s, I could, indu- I could introduce myself as a pastor. Hi, I'm Darwin Glassford. I'm a pastor at XYZ Church. Um, and this is the work that I do. And the response was generally, even if people didn't believe, um, it was respectful. Yeah. Um, the the look on their face was um, respectful. Um, now, fast forward that to where, to be honest with you, I don't like to even introduce myself as a pastor anymore. Sure. Because I feel like when I introduce myself as a pastor, um, I'm perceived as a threat. Um, these walls go up. Um, it's like we can't have a conversation. I know who you are. I know what you believe. I don't agree with you. So we're just not going to get along. And it's that I know who you are that is the hardest. You right. get squeezed into a particular a particular uh, mold, mold yeah. that's out there. Yeah. As you say that, I remember when uh, I entered back into the golf world and uh, showed up at uh, where I was working at the Highlands in Grand Rapids and uh, – you know, I, I came in first day, met one of the longtime members, and uh, he just said, so I hear you're a pastor. Are you going to try to save me? <laughs> and this was already now 14 years ago, right? right? Yeah. 15 yeah. years ago. And so that just that, like, it took me off. And I said, well, how about I don't try to save you and I just try to love you and, and give a rip about your life? How's that sound? And he's like, uh, you know, but, but that reality of going, yeah, it's in, in, in essence, what Steven's been saying in his book too, of going, it's been here right, right, for a while. Um, we're a little lagging, I think in West Michigan. Yes. We've talked about that, uh, before I think, you know, in, in previous podcasts, but, um, yeah, going around the, the the world, and I remember running into a guy. I'm going to say in a bar in Orlando, <laughs> you yeah. know? and you know, just here we are as pastors. You know, we just kind of set it. We set it to throw the guy off because we knew it would throw him off, and it certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> but then he spent the rest of the night talking to us. Right. Um, but it was because it confused him more than anything that here was this group of pastors sitting in a bar talking to him, giving him time. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just that reality, it's been around for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been. How about you, JB? You're on the younger end of the um, spectrum here. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in the 80s, so there's... <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was starting my okay. second career. I'll, I'll, yeah. con- I'll confess, I'm an 80 child. Oh, okay. There we go. We're close. I was wondering if... Anyway. We're close. Um, you know, I what I, I find that I, 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 I'm... I delay sharing and I let them ask what I do that the mm-hmm. question of inevitably comes up um, but try to just make an impression and just be normal and so the the hope is that by the time I get to the point of answering the inevitable question of well what do you do for a living sure. well I'm a pastor um, they're a little surprised like oh well you've seen 
normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we are. We've talked for 30 seconds and you haven't been threatening. (laughs) And of course, for me, like my dad being a pastor, you know, like it it was, it's normal to me, you know, because that was just my, my reality, you know, my reality growing up. That wasn't a weird thing. See, and I kind of wondered about that as we thought about this question, you know, when Darwin sent the question out, I was like, huh, I wonder what this is like for JB having grown up with his dad being a pastor, you know, and what that shift, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I I feel like I don't have the same, I don't have like, as maybe I, I don't know, I don't, I don't experience the same kind of apprehension maybe Mm -hmm. that you guys expressed. Yeah. Um, the the hope is just that I can be normal and uh, surprising. Right. What 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 is interesting is when I when I have gotten to that point and you share that I remember I remember being we were in San Diego uh, on vacation and sitting in a hot tub and you know we're talking with a group of people uh, well, this older couple in the in the hot tub and and then that inevitably came up and then suddenly um, for this instance you know all but the, the their guard went down because I was normal, but I was a pastor, and they started talking about life and things of depth. Like sometimes it, it can be a portal into right. into in depth yeah. conversations too. If if that immediate threat isn't, yeah, you know, that guard isn't up. Yeah, it begins um, to fall away. Yeah, you sure. Have so, a conversation. Well, I yeah. think too. You know, going back, I I'm now so conditioned to introduce myself more on the role I'm playing in that moment because it builds a bridge into that common ground. Kind of like you're talking about of going, I'd rather them experience who I am, you know, like around West Ottawa, I'm Bella's dad or Sam's dad, you know, and I'm coaching tennis versus, and then we don't even get to, well, what do you do for a living for quite a while? You know? And it's like, yeah, then I can, when that question is asked, well, what do you do for a living? Well, yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. You know, so that it it fights and breaks down. It brings down yeah. maybe some of those narratives. You build some other context for relationship. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's really interesting how he gets how he traces us historically, and he he draws um, primarily on the work um, of um, Philip Reif, who wrote um, the Rise of the Therapeutic. Or the Triumph of the Therapeutic, which is a wonderful, wonderful book, though quite, quite dense in points. And and John on Reef, he he says there's been three, there's kind of three cultural types, and and the first cultural type is where we just live in a world of competing gods um, that have tri- that are tribal in their allegiance. Everyone has their own god. Everyone kind of does what's right in their own. Su- own eyes, and really, that's the reality of when um, of early Christianity, when the church um, was founded, when Jesus came, in the Roman world and throughout the world, there was kind of tribal allegiances. Um, people's value was really related to their um, position in society and culture. Um, particularly, women were had very little, if if any, value. Um, they were to be um, used as appropriate given your social status. Um, children, um, infants who were deformed were just left out to die. Um, and so he talks about this kind of first world, this world of competing gods um, that existed. And it's into that world um, that Christ came. And so he moves into the second cultural type, which he describes as kind of being monotheistic monotheistic and evangelistic. 
And I think it's um, it's worth spending just a little time right here um, to, to wrestle with how Christianity in that early in those early years um, broke down tribal barriers, yeah. how it shifted um, how people um, see each other, how people interact, and how people treat each other. Because that really was one of the major impacts of Christianity throughout the world. Um, so what were some of your observations on this kind of second cultural narrative where he talks about Christianity come, coming into and breaking into the world, the early church? Well, I think one of, one of the things that caught me is, you know, I was, I, when you had highlighted that and mm-hmm. sent it out, I was like, oh, yeah, because that grabbed me. It was during mm-hmm. Advent, mm-hmm. And, and I was reading more of why this particular moment Jesus came into history because mm-hmm. – you know, and he names it as that first culture, second culture prior to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had these even Jewish, the Jewish community was its own community. It wasn't mm-hmm. going and necessarily doing evangelism per se, right? But in this moment, too, of Hellenism and in in the world kind of going, yeah, we have all these gods, but the place that the gods have now are not center mm-hmm. anymore. But there was still this good news, right? Jesus steps in the middle of this and and there's evangelism now. There's a there's the euangelion. Go proclaim the good news. Um, and yeah, it just it really captured my attention from that standpoint because it was you know everything I was reading from sort of Second Temple Judaism and the the beginnings of the Western civilization mm-hmm. um, was like okay yeah this makes sense. So so while the gods were slightly getting removed from center to the world there's this good news that god has stepped back in and and there it was i think when we were talking about tim keller as well mm-hmm. sure. uh, in reaching the west again mm-hmm. that moment where we could you could still because the reality of a god was still existent mm-hmm. you could still connect the dots yeah right and so it was easier to be able to in a way to be able to go hey this god stepped into the world He's not one of many. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, I guess, centering your life on a God was still not so foreign or far off, right? And and so, yeah, I think that's just something that, without going any further. <laughs> yeah. I feel, like, I feel like one of the things that struck me, and this is kind of a working thought, but um, Christianity had good news that was good news even apart from Christ, if that makes sense. Like if you're okay. a slave yeah. living in yep. ancient Rome or you're a woman and like life isn't good, but then like this gospel, I mean, it is Jesus, but mm-hmm. says, no, you are a value. Right, right. Uh, yeah. You are, you know, th- there is something good that that is a consequence of Jesus, not yeah. simply Jesus himself. The implications. Yeah. Right. yeah. The um, impact. And that that is shifting. Yeah, big, big time. time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it seems to me what you see is the core, Jesus, is being marginalized. And so those things that are the impact, the consequences of Jesus, suddenly they're melting away. Yeah, I think right. Mark Sayers in, in, in the book that he was quoted, the, the, the kingdom mm-hmm. minus the king, that kind of language. Like yeah. The, yeah. the kingdom yep. is good news, the consequence, what Christ is bringing, um, and that would have been jarring. Which is why Christianity rose, you know, from the margins largely. You know, it was right. known as a religion of women and slaves, like those on the margins of society. What really grabbed on to uh, early Christianity, you know. Well, 
yeah. That makes me think too of just how, you know, like there you go, the kingdom message and what was seen was what, what was radical. Right. While the mm. idea of a God wasn't maybe so radical. Right. Mm. And I don't want to jump, jump too far ahead, Darwin, but you know, like where that's almost flipped now, mm-hmm. yeah, the right. kingdom message actually isn't radical. People are craving what the kingdom brings. However, the idea that there's a God behind that or a base to that, the wisdom of the cross, as Paul right. would say in Corinthians, right? right. It, it, that's the wisdom that undergirds the wisdom, the common grace, the wisdom we see in the world around us. So I think what's really interesting that he draws out here is that all of our contemporary discussions about women, about race, um, about social divisions are rooted in the church, in the gospel message in Christianity. In other words, that was the impetus for bringing these things forward. And you're right. The message of the kingdom was an amazing message that people have value, that they are embodied, and that you are as valuable as the next person. And if you – it doesn't matter where you are on the social ladder or anything else. You matter. That that was a remarkable message. And it's really hard for us to imagine how how um, life-disrupting and (laughs) life-transforming that was. (laughs) But along the way, then he traces um, as as thought developed and and um, modernism developed, and modernism basically said we can rationally explain everything. Um, in the words of Descartes, "I think, therefore I am." That that the knower was able to be divorced from the known, mm, yeah. and and that the knower could make sense of the broader world without necessarily a reference to a spiritual reality. And so the the shift, and it didn't take place like instantly, but over time, and part of what we're experiencing is as we move into a third culture, it rejects the spiritual reality. There is only what is before us. There's only mathematical concepts. There's, uh, there's just the tangible. There is no spiritual reality lying behind everything. And so we have to come up with an alternative understanding of what it means to be human. We have to come up with an alternative understanding of equality and all these kinds of things that were deeply rooted in the gospel and, and gave us a way forward, a grounding. But now in this time in which spirituality is rejected and that any sort of spiritual discussion is off limits as far as a community or a culture goes. Individually, it's fine. If it's your private thing, it's your private thing. Um and so we're working on horizontal constructs all the time. What was your, your, your take on his shift from second to third culture? Well, yeah, I wrote down um, that when we think about like gods now or religion, you know, religion as we understand it, um, as it's either the enemy or it's non-existent because non-existent is you're ignorant Right. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's sort of powerless. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's either the enemy because it restricts the gospel of me, myself, and I. Right. I think therefore I am, right? right. The inevitable it, it's end. It's all about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. inevitable end of Western civilization's right. <laughs> thought of once you start removing gods, uh, the only place is there me. <laughs> right? right. But that's since the beginning of time. Right. Or it's just powerless. Well, you just need to 
become more evolved, right? right? That's archaic thinking. That's that even first culture stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's for the third world, mm-hmm. right? We tend to look down um, in the first world on the third world at mm-hmm. times um, because, well, that they believe in that sort of myth myth stuff and the voodoo magic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we, we have science, but science becomes all about me, right? And right, my it's, control, exactly. So, yeah, that was. I mean, that shift of going, yeah. And it, and it goes back to what you said earlier, JB, and sort of that aha moment for me of like, yeah, the, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king right. because the king is either an enemy who puts us down or is actually weak and powerless. Um, so, yeah, I think the interesting thing there is, is for me, is that if you separate the king and the kingdom, all of a sudden the kingdom doesn't look anything like what the king tried to establish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. it's that it's a weird disconnect, and and I think we're kind of in that point right now in navigating that that disconnect. Well, it's it's falling apart. You know, yeah. the, the I think it was the vessels that Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, and and now without that stabilizing the foundation of the king, mm-hmm. these things are breaking apart, and and we're seeing which is good, you know. Right. But um, yeah. I think that was the thing that really struck me too um, was I, I think there was a quote from page 28. We've done such a good job at Christianizing our culture, giving it rich and fulfilling categories, this kingdom, that the new religion can say, well, thank you very much. We'll take it from there. You know, like, <laughs> thanks for giving yeah. us these categories. We'll take it from here. We got something better. We don't need, uh, you know, yeah, these archaic, these out of date kind of. We can ideas. keep the categories even as we. Um Reject the king, right? Right, and and that doesn't happen for long. the The categories will have their own momentum, right, for a season. And that's and I I feel like we're entering in that time where those categories without the king are kind of losing their momentum. Yeah, but yeah, and I think that the challenges with that are are really manifold. I mean, there's oh. many of them. Um, but I think one of the things he calls us to that I think is really really important is how do we engage the culture. How do we walk within it? Um, how do we engage respectfully? Um, and when we encounter resistance um, or threats or feel danger, how do we respond? Do we respond as one of the adopted children of the king? Or do we respond in a like manner? And do we claim what – do we claim – what is ours, or do we strive to walk faithfully and, and being respectful and generous and speaking in the situations, um, listening well, um, allowing people to disagree with us, and not feeling like we have to win the argument or save people? Yeah. It, it really is a changing conversation, isn't yeah. it, from, my, from one God as opposed to the other, the cult, right. second-level culture, to – your understanding of reality is too small. There's more to reality than you just experience or explain in terms of the self. There's something bigger than just you. Mm-hmm. And that's good news, but it, it changes the nature of the conversation. Yeah, and it's 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 as though, too, what's he encouraging us in that to go live in such a way that it's sort of the shock and compels. Yeah. You know, it, that was something he said uh, – early on in the book is the way that we're living is shocking and compelling 
um, because it disorients people from what they think they know about us. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right. So are we living in a way that is not, we can certainly be shocking, um, but is (laughs) it compelling, right? (laughs) And and we can be compelling, but we can also lose some of that shocking nature, right? It it goes back to, we we call that grace and truth so often, right? What is, what does that look like? And I think at one point in time he said, you know, the first thing we need to do is confuse people. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then in confusing, but living in such a way with them that's intriguing for them and then becomes attractive, Mm -hmm. which ultimately then leads to that compelling. And, and I just, you know, I think that's, as we were talking earlier, it's that building the bridge. How do we, how do we live in a way that goes people, people want to, and I've had that happen, you know, whenever you're sitting in like coffee shop and you hear how Christians have conversation mm-hmm. and it goes, I've, I've been wondering that more lately of going, listen, you know, cause most of the time you can't help but hear, right. Mm-hmm. Reminder to everyone, people can hear your conversations. <laughs> um, is that the kind of conversation that breathes life that people want to be a part of that? Or is it just proving people's case? when we sit and talk, um, especially in the public sphere. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important to remember that in the early church, they had to live out their law, their faith in a public sphere that didn't believe or accept what they were teaching. Right. And, and that for some early believers, it cost them their lives. Um, but they, because of the gospel, lived lives that were free. They lived lives um, that cared well for others, that demonstrated the truth. And because of who they were, they were perceived as a threat to the yeah. broader culture. So again, we have forgotten our own history in many regards. Yes. There's a lot that we can learn. Yeah. The definitely. other thing, I just want to get your comment on this. And, and this is um, a quote from the book on page 100 and 101. Um, this really struck me. Um, as he talks about, he quotes in the prophet Haggai, he paraphrases that. But then he says this, um, don't be surprised if your children walk away from a people of faith to whom you were barely committed because their only long-term friendships are in the world. And then he goes on to note, this is not about keeping Christians busy. It is about first defining ourselves as the gathered people of God and then shaping our lives around that commitment. And and I've wrestled with that a lot. Um, I wrestle with it because sure. what does it mean um, as a church, as a group of believers, to be an alternative community, an alternative community in a way that um, cares well for our people, not just our children, but also cares well for our young people and equips them to navigate this culture that, to be honest with you, is not friendly towards us. He's, he's put his finger on some really things that, that are just we need to struggle with. Yeah. Are, have we kept our kids busy? Are we keeping ourselves busy? Or are we building relationships that are give life to one right. another? Do we just get the attendance check or do we actually receive – hope and strength to live differently because yeah. we've received it first from God, but it comes to us mediated through right. our, our community of faith. 
Yeah, I love on uh, page 100, 100 with that. He just says, we need to do life together. Church yeah. services, meals, times of ad hoc gathering in which conversations are sprinkled with grace. You know, and, yeah. and that are we, yeah, what does it look like to continue to rub elbows with each other, to do yeah. life together um, and to be able to, I think it goes back to even just the coffee shop conversation, right? right? is how we do life together is going to inform the world. You know, we'll give it information one way or another. Right. It, it seems like we got to remember that we're in a different culture and context. Right. 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 Like, like second yeah. culture strategies don't work. Like in the third. We're not, yep. like we, <laughs> right. don't, we don't need to use power to try to save the culture or like right. acquiesce to culture, like focus on people and Jesus. Yeah, yeah right. right. You know, like that sounds too simple. Yeah, um, yeah. But but part of what you're saying is that if it's just people and gathering and events and doing without Jesus, it won't be transformative. No. Right. If if our gatherings aren't right. sprinkled with grace, mm-hmm. aren't able to to help us navigate into the the spiritual realm, that's such a mystery to our our neighbors, our fellow livers in this culture. Yeah. Yeah, when people see us laugh together, cry together, and be able to talk about Jesus together and yeah, wrestle right. with the issues that we see around us together. And I mean, that's even the point of this podcast, right? right. Is is to help people see that, you know, we can talk together. And again, we're not even scratching the surface of every, you know, thing yeah. we agree on or disagree on, but it, it's just being able to say, we can do this. We can be yeah. four di- very different people. Imagine. You know, from different backgrounds, right. different places, and we can actually come together and work out this faith life, you know, the fear and trembling, right? right. The whole point of the podcast. The so, so here's a fun thing. Who is God calling us to be in this context? He's told us. <laughs> the scriptures make that known to us. All, all we have to do is read through the fruit of the Spirit, and we can say, this is who God is calling us to be. The kind of character we're to have is his adopted children. There, he's not hidden anything from us. He's just like, this is who you are being transformed into. And then and then out of that is how do we just – how do we live in light of that? How do we truly live in light of that in this day and age? Mm-hmm. And, um, and not to be fearful of those who feel threatening or feel dangerous or for those who label us in ways that aren't appropriate. Um. But the calling to live faithfully in this context is the same calling that has been with Israel um, throughout its founding in the Old Testament. Um, it's been with the church. Um, unfortunately, often we just don't get it quite as right as we should. I, I think one of the reasons I really appreciate – well, a couple of reasons. This book, um, it's short, It's pretty brief. Like yeah, it's, sure. it's, 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 you, can, yep. you can come at it and – you know, you can you can read it pretty quickly, uh, but also that the implication, like there's some practical that that end piece because I feel like the temptation is you you notice the world is changing, it's different. Well, then we got to go after that and change the world and tell mm-hmm. why why they're wrong about things, or to say, hey, we're you know, or you kind of play to the culture, which is more my temptation. Like, mm-hmm. look, we have all these things in common, so like. But, but no, like we also have to remember that Jesus, there's something distinct about Jesus and right. what Jesus calls us. And so to recognize like what is my what is my 
what is my tendency? Am, am, I, sure. am I more likely to, to go after the culture and critique and say, this is why you're wrong? Or am I more likely to say, mm, but we're not that different, you know, like let's make peace. And then, and, and he gives a mm-hmm. word to, to both perspectives, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. That's, it's this other way, yeah. right? The kingdom yeah. truly that is an other yeah. way. And the world is, I mean, that's, that's part of the gospel right now right. Yeah. is to offer the world. There's another way. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to, to invite people into that journey, right? Which is our, I mean, our mission and vision here is it's a journey. It's, yeah. it's not a, just a simple moment. It's a journey of. And, and Darwin, you, you point to the fruit of the spirit and that's, as he does, that really is. It's God working in us mm-hmm. to be kind. That's one of the fr- fruit yeah. of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. To be kind to people that we typically would not be kind to. Right. <laughs> but there's a different power at work in us and through us. And the world, that's when the world says, How could this be? Right. A kind, non judgmental pastor. <laughs> right <laughs> to wow. bring us right back to the beginning where we started. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. That, well, that's why I'm big on a pastor who repents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, yeah, we're we're kind of reaching the end of our time for for today. Um, thanks, thanks yeah. for the mm-hmm. hey, Bill. Thanks for the recommendation to yeah, Darwin. Yeah. Darwin, yeah. the recommendation <laughs> to us. <laughs> Uh, it is, folks. I mean, it's it's, it's a it's a short book. It is. Uh, I would say, you know, along the lines, and you can think about us as pastors. We read this stuff all the time, but maybe an easier read, something to grasp. But I think Darwin, you said it earlier. It, but it is touching on some things that are are tough things to wrestle with, right? Yeah. That sometimes, while it may seem small and simple. Um, some of the small, simple things dive down into those deeper things that push us. So um, next time, we're going to talk about a book by uh, David Zoll called Seculosity. Uh, The undertitle of that, is that even the right word, the undertitle? Okay. Um, I figured at some point in time I should know what I'm saying. But uh, (laughs) um, the subtitle, there you go. It says, uh, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance became our new religion and what to do about it. So uh, David Zoll is a a guy I became familiar with around a, a group called Mockingbird, yep. uh, the Zoll brothers, uh, but uh, and there's a dad involved. Yeah, I mean, it's multi generational. Yeah, pastors and um, I know we have a, a group meeting that kind of reading through uh, a devotional they did. That same community has been very very fruitful. Yeah. These are these are interesting, helpful people. So, Seculosity by David Zoll. If you want to pick up a copy and uh, read along with us, but uh, otherwise, I'm Aaron. I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us. God's peace be with you.